0: What up, Sam? It's the Tale of the Tapes! The Fuck Life! Sam? Tale of the Tapes, welcome to Season 2, Episode 31. Today we have J. Ruder Damager and Warren G. So, as always, allow me to speak on my personal experiences and opinions on these two particular artists before we go forward with any facts or information or anything like that. I knew J. Rude Damage's name, and that's about it. Literally couldn't tell you anything else about the dude from what he looked like to where he was from. Didn't know any of his songs and shit like that. So, again, I knew the name, but nothing of him. It's funny because sometimes i wonder where i know some of these people's names from considering how little i actually know about some of them but since i was about 11 years old i've always been a big fan of hip-hop music and i consider myself pretty well versed in it so i guess there aren't too many names that i haven't heard at one time or another obviously there's plenty of names out there some local talent and things like that and even some people that are having some major successes that i probably never heard of probably more so today than back then but in general i I think i'm pretty well versed and as far as warren g i knew probably what most east coast suburban kids knew of warren g (laughs) i just knew one or two of his biggest songs i knew he was from the west coast Didn't really have much of an opinion or an expectation for either of these guys, as I had little to no experience with both of them. But it's always intriguing to see what someone has to offer when you've never gone through their catalog before. So with that, let's get into J. Rue the Damager, as both of these artists today debuted in 1994. But J. Rue's album was out first, so we'll start with him. J. Rue the Damager. Birth name, Kendrick J. Rue Davis, also known as D-Original and Dirty Rotten Scoundrel, born February 14, 1972, origins listed as East New York, Brooklyn, New York City, New York, United States. His genres are listed as hip-hop, and his years active are listed as 1986 to present. So let's read a little bit of a background here on J. Rude the Damager. Kendrick J. Roo Davis, born February 14, 1972, Known as Jeru the Damager, is an American rapper and record producer. He is known for his 1993 single, Come Clean, from his debut album, The Sun Rises in the East, ranked as one of the 100 greatest hip-hop albums of all time by the editors of About.com. He has worked exclusively with Guru and DJ Premier of Gangstar, whom he has known since he was in high school. So... Kind of as I expected. Not too much there for J. Rue the Damager. But a nice little feather in his cap. Having his debut album ranked as one of the 100 greatest hip hop albums of all time. Now that's not to say that just because someone isn't commercially known. That they're not going to have a big background. With a lot of things to say about them. Or that a person who has a short background won't finish well. Or anything like that. But in general most times for me personally. When I don't know much about the dude. There usually isn't all that much to know when I look into them. However, I was not aware that Jru knew Guru and Premier since they were in high school, and I actually like Guru and DJ Premier is my favorite producer of all time, so I'm a little bit surprised that I didn't know that one. See, even I could learn something. <laughs> Nah, but to be quite honest, I've actually learned a lot of interesting things in this study, both about people I knew nothing of and people I thought I knew everything about. So that's obviously been pretty cool. And now let's run through what I jotted down about Jeru the Damager. There were times early on in Jeru's career where he didn't rhyme and had too many run on bars. While he was decent at keeping a topic and telling a story, at the end of almost every verse he seemed unable to find a way to rhyme what he wanted to close his verse with. He did have some deep and dope lines, but also had verses where he seemed to have trouble delivering them in the best fashion, and was only able to rhyme one syllable. His rhymes were random at times, and he was inconsistent with his bars, but it was outweighed by him making up a lot of ground in the second half, and overall he was able to finish above average lyrically. The Damager qualified 6 albums, 3 of which were good, and 3 that were great. Of his 69 songs he released, 3 were great, 22 were good, and 3 were weak. Je-Rue's impact on hip-hop as a whole wasn't very big, and his only visible influence was in the movie 8 Mile. Although he did sample a lot, The Damager was pretty original in a lot of other areas such as rhyme style, song topics, and message, etc. So, not a giant breakdown there. Let's get right into the math on him, and then we'll discuss some of the scores. Lyrics, he gets a six. Like I spoke about, it, it's, it's almost odd, man. And I've, I've actually, I want to talk about this for a second, because I've actually noticed a correlation here. Now, I obviously don't mean this about every song that this happens with, but I do notice a lot of times, whether it's somebody I like or somebody I don't really know much of, A lot of times, man, the songs that I like of them, like let's say it's a random person who I don't really listen to and I don't really know many of their songs and I'm listening and, you know, 10 songs goes by and they're scoring pretty well, but it's just not really my thing. Then all of a sudden a song comes and I'm like, oh, I like that one and I add it to one of my lists. I'm gonna say seven out of 10 times that that happens. That's one of their lower scoring songs. I'm not really sure why this is, And again, that's not to say that there aren't very high scoring and great songs that I love because there's a ton of them. But I've just noticed this pattern where that does happen a lot. And the reason I bring that up here is because it's a little bit odd. In my breakdown of Jeru, and this is coming from somebody with no experience on him, no bias, no nothing. I try not to read up on people before I listen to them. I try to read up on them as I'm listening to them, watch their interviews as I'm listening to them and stuff like that. So I can just get fully immersed in their world and their art and what they're bringing, who they are and what they're bringing to the table and stuff like that. So I didn't read that J Rue's first album was ranked by about.com as one of the hundred greatest hip hop albums of all time. I didn't know any of this stuff. So I just went into this with a clean blank slate and he scored technically on what he was doing. And early on, he was much worse than he was later on. He got way, way better in the second half of his career. So again, it's a little bit ironic that early on, he had a lot of troubles when it came to lyrics. Not a lot of troubles. He wasn't bad. I don't want to make that sound the wrong way, but he was below average lyrically early on. And that's the album that's qualified or voted as one of the 100 greatest hip-hop albums of all time, And then ironically enough, technically speaking, his later stuff is better, and you don't really hear anything about that in his background at all. So anyway, back to the Lyric score, just getting that out of the way. Overall, he gets a six, and like I said, a lot of that was carried heavily by the second half of his career. He was actually pretty well above a six in that second half of his career, but you also had to factor in the first half, so it averaged out to a six in total, but... Overall, I mean, Jeru definitely above average lyrically for sure, so that's not a bad score at all. Albums, he gets a 4.62 with zero classics. Songs, he gets a zero. Like we spoke about, he didn't have all that many songs, 69 songs. And he did have three great songs, but he also had three weak songs, so those obviously even each other out. That cancels out, and he gets a zero in the song category. Impact, he gets a a 4.5, which... You're going to see a lot of four and a halves for people like this, where it's people that, you know, they had a couple of albums. They maybe influenced one or two people. You may have heard their name, but don't really know anything about them. A lot of those people wind up getting four and a halfs, which is just below average because they did have some successes. I don't want to shit on what they did. I mean, this guy has, you know, an album that, not that about.com is the end all be all, but somewhere on some of these lists, this guy does have one of the 100 greatest hip-hop albums of all time. So it's obvious that, you know, certain audiences are listening and certain audiences are responding in a positive way. So you don't want to throw this guy's impact at a two or a two and a half or a three or something like that. You do have to acknowledge what he did, but you also have to acknowledge that in comparison to a lot of other people, it was very small. So it wasn't non-existent, but it was still below average, so 4.5 is fair for him, and originality he gets an 8.5, and, and you know, that was carried by a couple of different things. If he didn't sample so much and stuff like that, not that sampling dramatically lowers your originality score, but it will chip away at it a little bit the more that you keep sampling, and also keep in mind that with only 69 songs, you know, he may have only sampled on 50. 15 or 20 songs and you're looking at 25 to 30 percent of his material being samples so when you look at the body of work and then look at how much he sampled yes it was a lot but that was mostly the only knock on him when it came to originality he was pretty original with just his overall rhyme style he definitely had some song topics that were super original his overall message was original just the you know what he was trying to portray and get across so I thought 8.5 was fair for him, that's a really solid score for originality, and then you add all those five numbers up, and you divide by five, and that gives you a final rating of 4.72, which leaves Jeru the Damager in 57th place of 181 artists done overall. So, honestly, pretty impressive there for Jeru, not a guy that's necessarily a household name. Both in and out of hip-hop. That's not to say that people in hip-hop don't know who he is. But this is not like a very common name that you hear people talking about. And, you know, he had a bit of a rough start. But still managed to finish in the top third here thus far. And honestly, with the rate that J. Rue improved. If he were to continue that and come out with another album or two. These scores would definitely climb. Especially if he were able to make... Even a little bit of noise with them. So we'll have to see if that ever happens, but shouts to J Rue to damage a man for sure. And now moving on to Warren G, who, like I said, also had his debut album in 1994. Birth name is Warren Griffin III, born November 10th, 1970, in Long Beach, California, United States. His genres are listed as hip hop, West Coast hip hop, gangster rap, and G funk. And his years active are listed as 1992 to present. So let's read up on some background about Warren G. Warren Griffin III, born November 10, 1970, known professionally as Warren G, is an American rapper, songwriter, record producer, and DJ known for his role in West Coast Rap's 1990s ascent. Along with Snoop Dogg and Nate Dogg, he formed the hip-hop trio 213, named for Long Beach's area code. A pioneer of G-Funk, he attained mainstream success with the 1994 single Regulate, a duet with Nate Dogg. The younger stepbrother of producer Dr. Dre, he introduced him to Snoop Dogg, who was later signed by him. His debut album Regulate, G-Funk era, was certified three times multi-platinum. Regulate spent 18 weeks in the top 40 of Billboard Hot 100, with three weeks at number two, while this DJ reached number nine. Both songs earned Grammy nominations. Three songs from his second album, Take a Look Over Your Shoulder, reached the top 40, as did his 1998 duet with Nate Dogg, Nobody Does It Better. Both Take a Look Over Your Shoulder and his next album, I Want It All, were certified gold, the last of his albums to attain certification. His 2001 comeback attempt, The Return of the Regulator, failed to reach his earlier heights despite a star-studded collaborator list and was criticized for undermining his strengths by trying to exceed them. His next two albums, 2005's In the Midnight Hour and then 2009's The G-Files, released independently, were self-produced and escaped popular notice. In the 2010s, he experienced a resurgence in popularity amid the digital age. In 2015, he released Regulate, G-Funk Era Part 2, an EP featuring archived songs of Nate Dogg, who died in 2011. In 2017, Regulate, Platinum Since 1994, went two times multi-platinum propelled by digital downloads. So, more there for Warren G than there was for Jeru the Damager, which, again, was kind of expected. That's not to say that Warren G was the best-known rapper ever, but... A little bit more commercially successful than Jeru. A couple big singles, a three-time platinum album, and things like that. But we also see how it's been a bit up and down for Warren G, where he had early success, then kind of suffered some criticism and seemed to take a step back, and then returned to not as much success and things like that. So that fits the bill for most of what I saw when I studied Warren G, so let's get into what I wrote down on him. Warren G. was pretty much the epitome of average in almost every sense. He wasn't bad at holding a topic, but seemed unable to put together a real good story, and very hardly had any subject matter of any substance. At times, his rhymes are random and repetitive, using the line, It's me, Warren to the G, in what felt like almost every song, and he even spelled a simple word wrong in a verse once. Although the majority of his rhymes were simplistic, he did have some pretty good lines, especially towards the tail end of his career, leaving him at just below average lyrically overall. Pretty much all eight of his albums were borderline good average albums. Throughout his 21-year career, he failed to register any great songs, but did have 11 good songs along with three weak ones. While Warren G. did have a few hits and a bit of a buzz on the West Coast in the 90s, his impact on hip-hop overall wasn't very big, and he only influenced Memphis Bleak musically. Originally, I was under the assumption that Warren G. was one of the original major founding factors in the G-Funk sound, and that was going to be one of the few things he had going for him as far as originality. However, upon closer review, he is not really credited as one of the originators of the G-Funk movement. So, let's get into the math of that a little bit, and I just want to be clear with what I meant at the end here. He was certainly a pioneer for the G-Funk movement, but was not really the originator of it. So, I hope you guys understand what I mean when I say that. So, if somebody came out with a new style next month, and they originated that sound, totally new sound, totally new style, nobody had ever heard it before. Obviously, now that's not to say that everybody that makes anything sound like that is totally biting and is going to lose major points. That's not the point that I'm trying to make here. What I am trying to say is that let's say the first two people or some of the first two people to really like it are me and let's just throw a random name out and say Riza, for example, right? And I'm just being totally random with that name. So now me and Riza come out with albums or singles or whatever in a similar style right? And for whatever reason, maybe because of Rizza's fame or whatever the case is, because take this as a good example, right? If I did it right now with my impact and, and my fame level and stuff like that, it probably wouldn't really do shit. But if RZA did the same thing, it might garner a lot more attention than even the original person that started it. Okay. So keep in mind that that original person that started it is the originator of it, and he's the one that's really going to get the originality points. RZA is more so a pioneer of it, and somebody that kind of liked it, and adapted to it, and made it a little bit more public and mainstream, and then a lot of other people started to say, wow, this is amazing, but RZA didn't really start it, and I'm not saying that RZA would take credit for it, or I would take credit for it, or anything like that, just trying to point out to you what the difference between a pioneer and an originator is and why Warren G is not being given a massive amount of originality credit because of that. So on to the math here for Warren G lyrics, he gets a four and a half, like we spoke about just below average. And there really wasn't anything like bad about Warren G. It was just that there really was little to no subject matter of any substance. So, I mean, most songs were kind of just the same things over and over again. Um, you know, he wasn't really great at like telling stories. He would kind of like tell these little pieces of stories, but couldn't really like tell a, a whole good story for a whole song. Um, you know, wasn't great at keeping a topic, wasn't bad at it, but wasn't flawless at it. Um, and then, you know, he just had scenarios where he would just repeat lines a lot. It's me Warren to the G and just things like that. So just little things like that accumulated over time and dropped him to just below average even though most of his rhymes by themselves were technically probably average albums he gets a 3.55 with zero classics songs he gets a minus 0.31 which is a pretty low number obviously it's only a third of a point that's not really going to affect his score greatly but again he's losing points where he could be gaining points and that came from the fact that he had no great songs throughout his entire catalog and three-week songs. Impact, he gets a four and a half, just below average, same as Jeru. Again, you're going to see a lot of this from people like this. Warren G, a little bit more commercially successful than Jeru, right? So maybe he has that on him a little bit. But you see that Warren G was nominated for for two Grammys and stuff like that. But he didn't win any and you know he was on some billboard charts and things like that and his album sold well and stuff like that but other than those little sporadic spots where he had a great single or he had you know and i don't want to call warren g a one-hit wonder because he wasn't but he never was able to really garner the same type of success from anything else that he did from regulate so it's one of those things where Overall, it's just below average, but kind of in a little bit of a different way than Jeru the Damager. Whereas Jeru had these little feathers in his cap, like being ranked as, you know, one of the 100 greatest hip-hop albums of all time. And just little things like that, but had a little bit more of an underground following than Warren G. And then on the flip side, Warren G didn't really have much going for him. But he was a helping hand in pioneering the G-Funk movement. And he did have sporadic commercial success with some singles and some albums and stuff like that. So it's almost an opposite thing where when you talk to real hip-hop heads, Jeru's probably going to come up first. But then as you assess everything and you look at the lack of commercial success and things like that, it kind of brings him down to just below average. Warren G probably quite the opposite. I don't think that any real hip-hop heads are going to come out and be like, Bro, Warren G. You know what I mean? So you have to keep that in mind. And then you also have to keep in mind the fact that, no, maybe a lot of hip-hop heads are not saying that, but he still did have a platinum single, a platinum album, and some top 40 hits and stuff like that. So again, all things have to be factored in, but just below average when it comes to Impact for Warren G. Originality, same thing, he gets a four and a half, just below average. And that, we kind of touched on this a little bit already. I don't want to say that he copied the g Funk thing. I mean, that's the area that he's from, and that's what those guys were doing at that time, and he was very close with a lot of the guys that were doing it. So again, it wasn't that he, like, stole it from them, but he didn't make it up. He didn't totally originate it. So to a certain extent, Warren G. had a little bit of his own sound, but to a certain extent, even probably more so, he was very, very typical West Coast. The way he dressed, the way he looked the overall sound of his songs and albums and things like that and then again not really the originator of the g-funk movement so a little bit hard to really give him points for originality that it was no you know songs song topics that were about anything crazy um you know his rhyme style wasn't out of this world or totally unique so it was just kind of average for everything and then you had to factor in that there really wasn't anything standout original and it Finish just below average again. So you add all those five numbers up and you divide by five, and that gives you a final rating of 3.35, which leaves Warren G in 169th place of 181 artists done overall. So obviously, not a good finish there for Warren G, who's just outside the bottom 10 there. And I want to bring up a point here as I have in the recent past. A couple episodes ago, I stated how when I was in this year listening, I deemed 1994 to be the year of the average rapper. Not because no one good came out in that year, but just because there were so many rappers to make their debut in 1994 that just had average scores in almost every aspect. And you'll see more of that as we continue on in 1994 here, but just another prime example here of how tough this competition is getting as we get into the mid-90s and creep up on the last year of the golden age of hip-hop. Warren G gets just below average in like every single category. Four and a half for lyrics, four and a half for impact, four and a half for originality. Just above average on the album score and just slightly minus on the song score. So literally almost even across the board. And yet he finishes inside our bottom 20. So things obviously getting real tough now as our quote unquote average guys seem to be falling much closer to the bottom than the middle now. So with those two guys personally covered, now let's get into our list. So for the remainder of this year, 1994, we're going to stick with our top 15% overall. So let's get into that one first. In our top spot, we have Nas, who's in 5th place of 181 artists done overall. Behind him in ninth place, we have Black Thought of The Roots. Directly behind Black Thought is Tupac, who's in a three-way tie for 10th place. And then next, tied for 14th place, is Pharaoh Monch. Behind Pharaoh Monch, we have KRS-One, who's in 17th. Back in 21st is Jizza. Couple of slots behind Jizza is Slick Rick, who's in 23rd. Couple of slots behind him in 25th is Rakim. Directly behind Rakim, we have Redman, who's in 26th. And directly behind him in 27th is Common. A couple of slots back from Common is MF Doom, who's in 29th, and a couple of slots back from him in 31st is Rev Run of Run DMC. Directly behind Rev Run is LL Cool J, who's in 32nd place, and a couple of slots back from him in 34th is Will Smith. Directly behind Will Smith is Crazy Bone of Bone thugs and harmony who's in 35th, and directly behind him in 36th is Lazy Bone of Bone thugs and harmony Directly behind Lazy is Sticky Fingers of Onyx, who's tied for 37th. And then a couple of slots back from Sticky is DMC of Run DMC and Ice Cube of NWA, who are both tied for 39th place of 181 artists done overall. So no changes whatsoever to this list at all today, so moving right along to our current top 10% lyrically, and there are no changes in this list today either. Tied for our number one spot, we have Pharrell, Manch, Black Thought of The Roots, and Nas, who all got lyrical scores of 8.5. Behind them, we have a three-way tie for fourth place between Master Ace, Jizza, and Common, who all have lyrical scores of 7.5. And, and then we have another tie behind them for seventh place with KRS-One and Lord Finesse, both getting lyrical scores of 7. Behind them, we have an 8-way tie for ninth place between Will Smith, Rakim, Cool G Rap, Everlast, Tupac, Redman, Sticky Fingers of Onyx, and Lazy Bone of Bone thugs and harmony So obviously shouts to everybody in that top lyricist list for sure. Now let's get into our particular decades list, starting with our top 5 rappers to make their debut in the 1980s. So your top five rappers to make their debut in the 80s are KRS-One, Slick Rick, Rakim, Rev Run of Run DMC, and LL Cool J. Same legends hanging strong there. Remember those names, people. Now, onto our top five artists to make their debut in the 90s so far, and there are no changes to this list today either. So your top five rappers to come out in the 90s so far are Nas, Black Thought of the Roots, Tupac, Pharrell, Manch, and GZA. So second week in a row now that no one has cracked this top five of the 90s list, which like I said, is starting to shape up to seemingly be one of the hardest lists to crack. So I really am curious to see how long this goes on for. And quite frankly, that may never change. That could wind up being your top five rappers of the 90s right there. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. Now let's get into our new list that we started this session of our top three artists from each region of the country and there are no changes in this list today either. Starting with the East Coast, the number one rapper to come out of the East Coast thus far is Nas from Queens, New York. In second place is Black Thought of the Roots from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and in third place we have Pharrell Manch, also from Queens, New York. Moving across to our West Coast... The number one rapper to come out of the West Coast so far is Tupac from Marin County, California. In second place is Ice Cube of NWA from Los Angeles, California. And in third, we have Everlast, also from Los Angeles, California. Moving down south, your number one rapper to come out of the south thus far is Andre 3000 of Outkast from Atlanta, Georgia. Second place is Big Boy, also from Outkast and also from Atlanta, Georgia. And third is Scarface of the Ghetto Boys from Houston, Texas. Moving over to our Midwest. Your number one rapper to come out of the Midwest thus far is Common from Chicago, Illinois. In second place, Crazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony from Cleveland, Ohio. And in third place, Lazy Bone of Bone Thugs and Harmony from Cleveland, Ohio. So. We get a week here where neither of these artists able to crack any of these lists. And again, this is going to happen. Not everybody can make the top of their respective lists. And the 90s have been very, very hit or miss with everything. It almost seems to be like a like a top 10 or a bottom 10 for the most part. Obviously not with everybody. But in general, we're getting a lot of really strong finishes and a lot of really poor finishes in the 90s here. So we'll see what happens with that going forward. If you'd like to see any of these lists in full, you can give the Facebook website a visit at www.facebook.com slash podcast. You can also give the host website a visit at www.anchor.fm slash tapes. Both of those links spell completely normally, and on the host site, you will see a support button. I really appreciate anybody that hits that and donates to me. And that does it for episode 31, man. Next week, episode 32 will be on Mystical and The Brat. So that's a pretty interesting episode, for lack of a better word. And we'll have to see how that one plays out next week. Tale of the Tapes. Peace. Tale of the Tapes. Might as well. Better off.